1: Hello and welcome to Baseball BarbaCast, the only baseball podcast in the world naming their dog Red Herring. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And it's all a decoy, baby.
0: Oh, it is indeed. And we are going to get to the grand reveal of Shohei Otani's dog's name. The reveal that it, it was, in fact, Shohei Otani's dog. Uh, for, despite some skepticism of even that being the case. It is Friday. We have so much to talk about because we last recorded on Tuesday afternoon with our dear friend Mike Farron for Prospect Cast, and we got a wave of news. We got trades. We got signings. Uh, this is finally – this shit's going down. And, of course, we are going to lead with more Shohei Otani stuff because he was formally introduced to the uh, horde of LA media yesterday at Dodger Stadium – uh, we're going to talk about his contract, finally, which is the <laughs> subject of much discussion. We're going to talk about the trade that the Dodgers not officially completed involving Tyler Glass now, but we seem like we had the parameters of that giant signed Jung-Hoo Lee, a bunch of other moves. And then, Jake Mintz, the return of the good, the bad, the ugla. I don't really have an explanation for why we haven't been doing this on the last few Fridays, but ultimately, we have enough uh, strange topics, ugla-worthy topics, that we decided to to bring in here today. So probably going to be a bit of a long pod, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Uh, and we, as always, it's... Uh, I don't know how many more shows we're going to lead with Otani, but this will still be one of them.
1: Shohei Otani can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, which is relevant because yesterday he spoke publicly for the first time in four months. I believe the last time he spoke was after an Angels game against the San Francisco Giants in early August. After that, he made one more start and then went pop, boom, <laughs> bow. Yeah. But Otani, there were moments of revelation at the press conference at Dodger Stadium. There were moments of of uh, obfuscation as well. We were mm-hmm. given the runaround on a couple things, and we were given some clarity on a couple things. But you watched it. I read the transcript. Most of it, yep. Yep. I'm curious, what was your visceral takeaway from seeing Shohei Otani on the field
0: at Dodger Stadium? Sure, yeah. And of course, they did the whole uh, photo shoot and, and now the Dodgers are really you know cranking out the official, no more photoshops, right? We got the guy in the building, wearing the real jersey, on the field, swinging a bat, all these things. Uh, we've already seen some interviews with Dodgers players. Uh, like Gavin Lux and, and Joe Kelly talking about how they've already seen him in the weight room and all these things. So he's he's a Dodger. It's happened. And I was interested, not just again, all the formal remarks, you know, about from Friedman and, and so on, like those were all predictable. There says this is a great day in Dodger's history, blah, 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 blah. Like that's all to be expected. But as you mentioned, you know, first time talking to the media informants, and I, and I, I imagine that there's probably some fans thinking like, okay, what's the big deal? Like, what's he really going to say? But this added a level of anticipation, not because I necessarily thought he was going to, you know, spill his heart and soul to us. But I was excited because especially knowing how many of our friends in the media were there, like, what would the first question be? You know, like, I was like, how, where do you even begin with this? And, you know, Jack Harris started with the very obvious, like, when did you decide to be a Dodger? And, and then why? And we got a lot of those similar questions. But, uh, and of course, we'll get to the dog stuff later. And, I, I'm curious. What stood out to you? What What of his answers stood out to you? Because there were two that I think kind of caught the most headlines that I think was, are worth discussing. And then we'll get into his contract, which we still haven't talked about on the show. The first is that he still doesn't want to call the surgery he got Tommy John mm-hmm.
1: when it is Tommy John. Like <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. It, yeah, they're they're picking nits. They're picking hairs here. Like it's it's Tommy John. He got a reconstructive elbow surgery. It's more of a, I think they, what, what did they say? It was a repair or a revision. It was yes. a revision. I understand it was on the different part mm-hmm. of the elbow, but I would imagine that there are other players who have gotten this exact procedure where we reported it as Tommy John and it was sure. discussed as Tommy John. And that so I agree with, yeah. But, I found it interesting mm-hmm. that he's still kind of dodging the specifics of that, even though the deal's already signed.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, one of the questions was like, were you not saying it as a form of leverage? Um, And he, he kind of now at the same time, like, okay, whether it's Tommy John or not, like, I don't really care. Like all I want to know is what the timeline is. Like, I don't care what you want to call it, whether it's internal brace, whether it's this. Now he did say, he said the thing that was, I guess somewhat revelatory is he's, and this is why if you do believe him and say, it's not Tommy he said it was completely different than the last time I got elbow surgery. Okay. So like, I don't know if that's a if that's just a lie. I don't know if it's but like I don't really care. All we yeah. want to know is like when are you going to be pitching again, and whether or not it was actual full Tommy John is an impact of that. But it doesn't matter what we're calling it. We're going to find out you know what kind of how serious the surgery was based on his timeline of return to throwing and whatnot. But the most important thing is as he said when he first got it, expects to be DHing on opening day. The other big news is that he wouldn't talk about the specific other teams.
1: I imagine that was out of a kind of a desire for respect and not to embarrass other clubs, but it was clear that he was not interested in talking
0: about that. That said, though, I do think that, you know, I, I, I think that people, I wasn't expecting him to like detail his meeting in Dunedin or whatever. And I, if people were, that's, that's absurd, right? But at the same time, you know, he was asked when he decided and he said, you know, the night before. You know, that Friday night after the madness, where people thought he was on a plane to Toronto and he was asked about that, and he was like, I was at home. I thought it was funny. Like, that's fine, right? But I think that his answers, and you can choose to believe him or not, did tell me that he did take this process very seriously. And even if the Dodgers always made the most sense from day one of free agency, I do get the sense that he did take the meetings with these other teams very seriously and the notion. That he was just like basically using the Blue Jays and the Giants and whatever. Like, I, I I don't buy that. I I I take Otani from from the little we know about this person. I do believe he was very thorough and thoughtful in the degree to which he thought about, about this process. And ultimately, as much as all the rest of us don't want to accept it because some of us don't like seeing super teams formed, like. This was the best place for him. So, like, sorry. Like, that's not – we can't be mad that he landed on – he's a smart guy. He landed on – yeah, the Dodgers are the best place for me. Yes, that makes sense. I would pick the Dodgers too.
1: Mm-hmm. And unless you live in Toronto, San Francisco, Chicago, or Anaheim, I would imagine. So, would you? It offers him the best combination of everything. And he gets to be in the playoffs every year. Yeah, And so, and- I think – Seeing him in the space with the uniform on was like, oh, well, duh. I (laughs) still do agree with you, though, that he did the due diligence necessary Mm -hmm. to make the best decision he could make. The Dodgers' entire setup was just too
0: overwhelming to deny. Yes. Related to that was, I think, the one other really interesting kind of nugget that he described when he referred to Something that, it, because basically they all asked him, there are there way too many of the same questions of like, why the Dodgers, why the Dodgers, why the Dodgers. So he did a good job of trying to come up with different ways to say the same thing. And one of them was his reference. He said, um, basically, when he met with Dodgers ownership, they told, and uh, you know, Friedman and Brandon Gomes, whatever, they said that even though they made the playoffs for the last 10 years, like, and won a and won World Series, like, they still considered that a failure based on the expectations of the organization. And he said, like, I like that mindset, you know, clearly basically like that appealed to him. He was like, that's that's what I'm about. To which I was like, if the last decade of the Dodgers is a failure, what the hell's going on in Anaheim? Like, what's the word for that? And you can only imagine what it was like for Otani who who did care so much about winning. And I know people say, okay, well, then why did he sign there in the first place? Look, man, like he only he we've talked about this. Like there was a he was committed. He wanted to go a place where he could live out this first part of his career and maximize Otani, the player. And he did it and it worked. And that's why it was a great fit. Right. But now it's like, no, I ain't sitting around here trying to, to like, this is about, I need to win something. Right. Of course that WB experience, I'm sure had a lot to do with that as well. Very Ricky Bobby of the Dodgers to hit Shohei
1: with a, if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. And, I love, it's such a hilarious thing, right? It's like, yeah, we've been, what a failure we've been, right? Right. But at the same time, that's kind of how some fans feel,
0: I bet, in LA. Yeah, and, like, that is a mindset that we wish more teams had, right? Like, that's the whole thing. There is, unfortunately, way too few teams who are actually viewing the, you know, the point of a professional sports franchise as winning championships. You know, that's, I don't, there's plenty that we can point to this off season, last off, like all around, right? There's unfortunately no shortage of those teams. And so when you have one where it's like, yes, that is the point. And of course the Guggenheim partners care about making boatloads of money. And that's what the Dodgers have figured out. They can marry the, the extreme pursuit of winning baseball games with making obscene amounts of money. That's good. There's a way to do that. And more teams are capable of doing that than actually do. But that is why they are the perfect landing spot. And also why, as we transition to the contract side of this, why it was clear that Otani was like, "Okay, listen, I'm going to be making so much money uh, no matter what I'm doing. So let's find a way for the to enable the Dodgers to make this team even better. Than it already is. Uh, and that's when we get to uh, some little discussion of deferrals. Defer mm-hmm. is what you use to make decote. mm Okay. But what's Dakote in this case? I guess de-coat you were wearing on uh, Wednesday's episode. <laughs> yeah. There was defer in decote from de animals mm-hmm. in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a different kind of defer, a very, oh, very different. Okay. Kind of right. defer. Um, this, again, we, we've already, I feel like we're kind of past the, the couple of days of, of the discourse around this, But so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's in one way completely shocking, which is that Shohei Otani, when we see the number, $700 million, he has decided to defer, I mean, literally like 95, 97% of it, to after his the, the length of his actual playing contract and because of the way that money and time works
1: the actual value of that 700 million dollar contract is notably lower yes closer to around 470 ish yes. million dollars yes now the their the question obviously immediately becomes why would otani take this deal why do it this way why not just get 500 like a 500 million dollars like a normal guy right like a normal person and not kick it down the road. Two reasons. One, I think Nezbolelo at CIA, is agent, wanted a seven. He wanted the seven in front of the number. It's a big, fat number. It's easy to sell that, right? And I think that's part of why it dropped the way it did, because it took us time to kind of unpack that. And now most fans just know about the $700 million, right? The second thing is that it does allow the Dodgers to make other moves. Now, there are some in the industry who say, that's not Shohei's problem. He should be making as much money as possible. And by making this agreement with the Dodgers, it sets a dangerous precedent for players, right? Mm -hmm. The other thought from, you know, agents in the game who don't like this deal is that it does not get better than Shohei Otani. Like it will never get better. It will never be a more alluring free agent. And he is in a way set a ceiling for what a deal could be. And that, that ceiling is sneaky, not that high. If you take the value number of the contract at like $470 million, mm-hmm. and that that's that's dangerous. Now I think Boris is gonna go get Soto more than that in nine months, Yeah, 12 I months. So and so I I don't think that's actually a big deal. I do think Scott will get it for Juan. Like, I'm not too worried about that. But just for, you know, the discourse around what this contract is, I think there are a lot of different viewpoints within the game. And people in the know don't really know what to make of it quite yet because we've just never seen something to this extent. Like, this much deferred money is
0: very new. It it is, but it's actually not – I mean, the amount is new because the – Total amount is is new, no matter what the context is. But I I was I I knew I remember the Scherzer deferrals, right? The Nationals yeah. are a team that, of course, have done either extreme backloading of contracts um, or you know extreme deferrals, and and a huge portion of his first deal with the Nationals it was the same thing. And I do remember similar levels of discourse. But Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman also have a good amount of deferrals in their contract. This is something we've already seen, you know, with the Dodgers who just haven't seen it to this level. And so I would say, yeah, like is, are there levels to it that are problematic? Now, again, there's a reason why it's, oh, MLB's not going to allow It's Like, no, like the players association have uh, kept in the CBA that deferrals can be as much as possible because again, you're not thinking about these extreme scenarios until you actually arrive at them. Yeah. And the Dodgers, then, yeah. Let, let's be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers did not break any rules.
1: Mm-hmm. What they did by giving Shohei the money and the way that they gave it to him, is totally fine. Totally fine with me. You could argue about the legitimacy of the rule, but it is such a rule that if you can work around it or work within it, you do that. And the Dodgers are well within their rights to do so.
0: Yeah. I would say... And so, yeah. So, so the financial side, like it it takes a while to kind of get your mind around it. And, and it is going to clearly enable... Now, again, just because he's making $2 million, that doesn't mean it's a $2 million tax hit because the total value of the contract is estimated at roughly, as you mentioned, $460 million. That puts the average AAV for the CBT purposes around 46 million, which is still a record, by the way, still higher than Verlander and Scherzer, the ones that they set with their short-term contracts recently, but not to the same degree. Now, at the same time, what's very clear about the Dodgers this offseason as we get to their next move, their trade here in a second with, with Glass now, they're gonna be blasting into the luxury tax probably no matter what, right? Like they seem committed to be going in the direction of, you know, Steve Cohen territory. Basically, no matter what, but this does undeniably afford them some level of flexibility that Otani himself clearly prioritized because you say, oh, he's only making $2 million. No, he's going to be making still more than every other baseball player because of what he's going to be having, what he's going to be getting off the field. And based on Tom Verducci's reporting in the immediate aftermath, he had a little anecdote in there at some point where he referred to how Otani thought about the money being discussed as laughable. Because it is like it, it, of course it is, and we we can say that about even other big contracts that we've seen in, in recent agency. Of course it is for, but even for him, like we know that that is not the most important thing. But as you mentioned, he has an agent, and it's his job to do this, and it's his job for a lot of reasons to get the 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 biggest number, however you get there, and that's how they got there. You can say it's a it's a you know convoluted mess, but that's part of the negotiation, and in this case, it was extremely beneficiary. For uh, for both sides, I will say the last part of the contract we did not touch on, unless you have anything else on the financials, is is the. That's is what the part. I was literally about to say. So yes, go ahead. There is a provision in the
1: contract that if Mark Walter, the owner, and or Andrew Friedman, the president of baseball operations, leave their jobs, there is an opt out triggered at the end of o- that would allow Otani to opt out at the end of that calendar year. The reason for this, probably is that when he was in Anaheim, there was so much organizational turnover and turmoil that having and guaranteeing himself a level of stability is very interesting to him. But my biggest takeaway here is congratulations
0: to Andrew Friedman on the job security. Yeah, I am a little confused about the Mark Walter part of this, though, because he is... In charge, right? Like, I know the ownership group, Guggenheim, whatever, is a lot of people. But my understanding is he is at the top and the one, you know,
1: oh, making the decisions. Oh, I get this.
0: So I yeah. think it's if they sell the team. Right. right? If they in sell the the event, team, he
1: chooses to sell the team, right. If Guggenheim, now that they have all this cash flow because of the way that they're dealing with the Otani contract, they could sell the team and make, obviously, oodles of
0: money. Mm-hmm. If there's new leadership that Otani not comfortable with – that's Which not is also yeah, the protection for the people being like, oh, the Dodgers are going to sell before they have to pay Otani, you know, seven basically seven hundred million dollars in ten years. Like they're going to have to get out from that. Like no, I understand yeah. this a lot. However, it is also just funny because like trying to think about the scenario where Andrew Friedman would be getting fired under like any circumstance. Uh, but it is pretty uh, hilarious. I, I'm the funniest part about this to me, knowing that it was Otani's idea, is like when it was broached, Friedman being like. I mean, you know, if you insist, man, like, yeah, man, let me
1: run it up the flagpole, but uh, dude, here's, Uh. here's a hilarious scenario. (laughs) Ready? Andrew Friedman robs a bank. Mm -hmm. I think if you rob a bank and get caught, you probably get fired.
0: It is a felony for sure. So yeah. Andrew Friedman robs a bank. Yep. Shohei leaves. (laughs) <laughs> well, that, well, but again, it's to be clear. It's it's his option, right? So his option. So he like, let's say he's not saying like if they Friedman. are gone, I will leave. It is I can leave. Right, right. But I love the idea. Like
1: Shohei is like an eleven win player. Yeah. In two years, right? Andrew Friedman
0: robs a bank, <laughs> like, or like say shit. Andrew Friedman, or like Andrew Friedman. Like say they win like two or three World Series in the next five years, right? And he's kind of like you know, mission accomplished. He's like, like I'm burnt out, right? He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like, I'm going to go buy a third division soccer team. And yeah, Belarus. exactly. Exactly. Like He just like changes interest. And he's like, you know, I'm I'm not really into this anymore. That feels more realistic than robbing a bank, but I don't want to put, I don't know Friedman that well. So, um, Andrew Friedman, watch, <laughs> um, point break and let me know. Uh, okay, Jake, let's continue to talk about the Dodgers of Los Angeles because as the press conference was wrapping up, essentially uh, within a couple, I mean, basically immediately as it was wrapping up, and we had already had some reporting about this, but it sounds like now we're recording this on on uh, on Friday morning, you know, nine thirty Eastern. We don't have a final. This is definitely going down, but our understanding is that Tyler Glass now will be traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This will be a trade. Glass now and Manuel Margot, the outfielder. Ah, uh, going to the Dodgers for young right-hander Ryan Pepio who's been in the big leagues each of the last two years one of their you know one of the more promising young pitchers and an outfielder named Johnny DeLuca who I'm excited to talk about but uh but this was a kind of a rumor that that sort of percolated over the last couple weeks and while well, I've been waiting you know I, as much as we like to so, feerance you know I'm more into the trade stuff and I was wondering when would we finally get one of these starting pitchers on the move whether it was Glasnow Burns Bieber, Cease, right? Like, there's a couple others out there, and this is—it seems like Glassnow was the one that was being the most aggressively shopped when you compare those, and and because the Rays, with <laughs> unfortunately, and I'm going to get to the Rays side of this in a second, their commitment to cutting down their payroll—they were up way higher than ever before with Glassnow's guaranteed twenty-five million, Margot making around ten. He was not really a part uh, worth worth you know being in the mix there. It seemed like that was going to be the first one to go. Now, the Dodgers being the team to do it both makes plenty of sense and also is interesting because we know they are still trying to go after Yamamoto. They still clearly are willing to spend money on other free agent starters. So this is an interesting landing spot when you saw this return here. And by the way, the other important note here is that it sounds like the Dodgers are planning on working on an extension with Glass now beyond the one year he would be under contract for uh, in 2024. Now, we don't have the details for that. I don't know how much that's going to change my opinion on the trade, but it does make me think about Glass now and like the risks and rewards of committing to a guy like him. So we should probably start with Glass now, the pitcher. I think.
1: So for, the first thing about Glass now is what a strapping, handsome young man.
0: Yeah, and, that's a good-looking dude. He he really he really is, and also like he's very handsome. He is a then uh, it's and this would be true if he didn't you know look like Tommy Shelby. Like he is, and. What what a dude like hilarious. in terms of personalities and like likable, interesting, like very inco- like I am a huge fan of Tyler Glass now. So yeah. that is that makes him very likable in many respects.
1: Tyler <laughs> Glass now thinks about the world beyond his frame of vision, field of vision in a way that not a lot of baseball players do. Yes. Um, and that is part of why he has a tattoo on the inside of his lip. And a tattoo on the bottom of his foot, both of which I believe reference various rap songs. I think he, on the bottom of his foot, he has a tattoo of Old Dirty Bastard, mm, which is yes. both bizarre and hilarious. Um, Glass now the pitcher Traded to the Rays from the Pirates in that wild <laughs> deal <laughs> way back when.
0: <laughs> Chris and Archer,
1: who now works for the Dodgers. Chris Archer, who now works for the Dodgers. Everything coming back full circle. So Glass now, what is he? He is a very good pitcher, probably a top 10 pitcher, top 15 pitcher in baseball. When he's healthy, that's the problem. Durability concerns. 2019, missed four months with an arm strain. 2020 was durable in the two minutes that the season was going on. Started a playoff game on two days rest, which I had forgotten about against the Yankees, which is maybe not great. Won both of those games. Pretty cool. Went to the World Series. July 2021, TJ, he had tried to do the thing where he rehabbed it, but just go get the surgery, friends. 2022 came back in August. Remember, it was awesome in that playoff game against the Guardians. That was a dreadful entertainment watch for the rest of us, but he pitched very well. This year, he had an oblique issue that kept him out until May 27th, and then for the rest of the year, was squarely very good. Very good. Glass now has gotten better from a command perspective. He is liable to just giving him up in the way that like 2022 Garrett Cole would just leave a fastball middle up in an advantage count and it would be a home run. Right. Yeah. That's how he gets beat when he gets beat. I don't think he is an ace. I think he is a good number two. If he's starting the second or even, you know, if he's starting the first playoff game for you, it's not the end of the world. If he's starting the second one, that's ideal. That appears like what he's going to do for the Dodgers this year if Walker Buehler comes back healthy. But all the injury concerns with Glass now, that's expected. I mean, he is a hard worker and gets his body in the best position he can to succeed. Like, he's ripped. But, like, when your body is built like that, what is he, six seven six eight with all those limbs – it's just more parts that could break. There's just more of everything. And so you're going to have a
0: higher injury risk, in my opinion, when you're that tall. And, and he's throwing, you know, obscenely hard, right? And, and he always has. And that's the thing. Like, ultimately, predicting injuries is very difficult. But normally, you are going to be concerned about the guys who have repeatedly been injured. And the fact that he just posted a career high in starts and in innings with 21 and 120 as he enters his age 30 season, you know the notion that the Dodgers would commit to him like into his mid 30s is to me kind of staggering at the same time like when you catch Glasnow on his on his best day, i mean there's there's very there's very <laughs> there's very thing few things like that because he is throwing so hard, his extension is elite. Not every tall pitcher has elite extension, but he gets down the mound so well, so athletic, and then he can spin the hell out of it, right? I mean, he is and the fact that he's been this dominant, again, and his still he's in the category of, wow, imagine if he learns a changeup. You know? Now he's gone a lot farther into his career without really ever even experimenting with that. It's been fastball, it's been curveball, it's been slider, and that's been enough. I'd be curious to see what – it's not like the Rays aren't experimenting with pitch mixes, so it's not like they haven't tried. So, but I would be curious to see if, if he does make any, any tweaks with Los Angeles. That is the thing with Glass now. It's not as if there's
1: any more developmental meat on the bone when you are a 30 year old pitcher going from a very smart organization to another. However, I do think that from an injury prevention standpoint, that is maybe where the Dodgers, their training staff, could do something different to keep him healthier. <laughs> I wouldn't, here's the thing I wouldn't mess too much with what he's doing on the mound because when he is on the mound, it is working. It's more of just like, can they give him something different that's going to make his availability better? We don't know. Who knows? That's not to say that the Dodgers training
0: staff is better or worse than any other. Like,
1: who knows? Yeah, that's well, something I, would, I want to point out.
0: I would just say, like, it is an interesting gamble for the Dodgers because they're basically saying we would rather bet on the guy with the injury concerns who we know is a very good major league pitcher. Rather than rolling with our army of guys who either just debuted, including Ryan Pepio, who we'll talk about in a second, like they want to get a little bit more certainty. As awesome as Bobby Miller looked, like right now their their rotation, though talented, has so many question marks. Right, so many it is for a team that is, as we know, very very committed to trying to win a World Series. There are a lot of question marks. Some of those guys are going to turn out to be really good pitchers. Pepio, Emmett Sheehan. Right, Michael Grove, we've still barely seen these guys. Kyle Hurt, there's more coming. Landon Knack, Nick Frasser, like all these guys we're gonna see in the big leagues. They're saying, no, let's just go get something that if healthy, we they know it's a gamble. It's not like they don't know his track record. We feel a little bit better about the level of performance we're gonna get.
1: And if they hit 500 with their rotation, it's still a postseason rotation. Like you wanna put on rose colored glasses and it's healthy Walker Bueller back from TJ, it's firing on all cylinders. Tyler Glass now, it's Bobby Miller, backs up his rookie season. That's an unbelievable top three. That's a great top three. Now, you could also, what's the opposite of rose-colored glasses? Poo-poo colored glasses. You want to put those on, all right? And then it's, Bueller doesn't bounce back from TJ, Glass down missed time like he always does, and Bobby Miller takes a step back as hitters start to figure him out. And then it's like, "Uh uh-oh. now. And that's- some combination of both of these things will happen, and we don't know. But what the Dodgers are doing is putting themselves in the best position for that rotation to succeed. I want to move forward here, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Very quickly on, on Manuel Margot. Mm-hmm. Good defensive outfielder who sucks against right-handed pitching and a bl- still really good against lefties. Yeah. And I think that's a really good fit with the Dodgers because they have so many left-handed hitting outfielders. I would imagine he'll do some platooning with Jason Hayward.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, this is, it could be as simple as just platoon with Hayward. I still think they could go after another hitter. Um, I think that the, the, bottom of this lineup, you could still say needs another guy for the standards that they're trying to hold. And those guys are out there like Soler, like Teosca Hernandez, right? Um, there, there's other options for their, for them too, if they want. Uh, but But he could be that. I I mean, to me, he's just the outfield version of what they got with Ahmed Rosario last year. Yeah. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, he's more expensive. So in that sense, it's maybe not great, but he's a good fit. I like Margot.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the return quickly. Pepio is super interesting. Pitched in the big leagues in 2022 and then came back up this year in 2023. He made three starts, eight appearances, 42 innings, and was really, really good. He sliced his walk rate Quite a bit compared to where he was at in 2022. That jump is probably a little bit of small sample size. It's somewhere in the middle. I would expect kind of average command. The special thing with Pepio is his fastball characteristics at the top of the zone are really good and really special. And he can miss a lot of bats in zone with that heater. And then the changeup is a plus pitch. The slider, I don't really like the slider. I watched a bunch of video of it this morning. It's kind of short, sharp. Doesn't get enough separation for the fastball, in my opinion. But the changeup, when he's got it, is a legit, legit pitch.
0: Yeah, it's been one of the best changeups in the minors for for a while now. And, you know, again, when we talk about, I think DeLuca kind of fits this too. But again, this is a third-round pick and someone that they developed and have decided that, okay, like, this is the time to cash him in for something that we're, we're getting more certain. Now, Rays fans are right to be excited about getting, you know, five years of Pepio Someone who, again, if I'm gonna trust a a pitching staff or a pitching, you know, coaching staff, pitching development to maybe find a way to tweak that off speed or or that breaking ball, find a way to, you know, just just make enough changes to that mix to where they're they're doing well. I mean, we've seen them do that with so many guys before. I mean, that's he's he's the perfect kind of guy to gamble on. And and he's also of that group of young Dodgers pitchers, has had the most actual success in the major leagues so far. We've actually seen him get a lot of outs. And look very effective. So in that sense, I did tab him as probably the one with the most trade value in that sense. And it seems like that's part of why, especially if they're going to get a glass now extension done, they're willing to kind of part with someone who clearly was going to be a part of their rotation this year.
1: I also think that we're going to see, and this is the eternal cycle, raise, develop, great pitcher, trade them right before they reach free agency for another pitcher who they develop, and then they trade right before they reach free agency. There's always another raise beast around the corner. Shane McClanahan is that guy. Now, obviously he's going to be out from us this year after getting TJ Jordan. I just, Jordan, it's Jordan. Let me finish my sentence. This is me putting the chips in the Taj Bradley bucket. Just saying right now, I'm all in on Taj Bradley. I love his stuff. I think with a couple tweaks, he's going to be kind of the next in line in the succession in the dynasty of Rays starting pitchers. Will he reach free agency with the with the Rays? No. He'll be on the Blue Jays in 2031 or whatever the fuck. But Taj Bradley is legit. Uh totally
0: totally with you. Um I just like, it still bums me out that this is how this goes, like truly. And I know that the Rays have been so good at this that like now we just, it doesn't even phase us that we're just trading Tyler Glass now. And like, I and I know that he's not, that he has risks and, and with your situation, you have to, and I get it. And And like credit to the front office for continually doing these deals in the right way. But I, it's still the same way where it's just like if I'm a Rays fan, like I probably freaking love Tyler Glass now. It just, it, it bums, it would bum yeah. me out a lot. And so I understand it and I respect the hell out of the front office. I know they're doing it within their means, but the the degree to which we just don't even, pro, like now it's just like, yeah, of course the right. Rays did that, whatever, we move on. Like it's still, it still bums me out. When we had conversations about Jerry Depoto and the Mariners,
1: how... Maybe Jerry just isn't elite at operating within the constraints that are given to him from ownership. The Rays are the opposite. That front office has proven itself elite and adept at making the most of the position that its ownership group is putting it in. You don't think, like, of course, Eric Neander wants to, would love to extend Tyler Glass now. But ownership is saying we need the payroll to be at here. Here's the budget you have. We're not going above that. And I think the as much criticism as the ownership group deserves, I do think that the front office deserves credit for continuing, continually making decisions that hit. Because, like, if 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 ownership is coming up to you and saying we need to get it to this level, you have to trade Tyler Glass now to do it. Like, your hands
0: are tied. Like you have to make those decisions and the rays have continually made the right ones yeah i mean that said uh if they trade randy that's just an abomination and, that's and an abomination. i don't think Wait, they one, will but yeah one more point as a rays fan like
1: as someone who would, is a rays fan i am very sympathetic to the idea that it's hard to fall in love with a team in that way where if the next player is just going to get yanked off stage and sent away if the team is staying competitive, that's awesome. But why are you watching the sport? You want to buy a jersey. You want to fall in love with the player. And I have no way to prove what I'm about to say, but I'm curious if, you know, maybe the, there's there, the, part of the issue within the fan base is that they are not given players that they can trust are going to be around and care about for the long haul. They were given that in Wander Franco. And I mean, that's its own situation, but like, I think that there's an element to that at play. Whereas if I'm a Yankees fan, like I have a lot of faith that Anthony Volpe is going to like die in pinstripes, you know, and that makes me more willing to think about him and commit to him as a part of the team. Yeah. Just a thought.
0: Uh, totally fair. So again, I, I'll, well, I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I just discuss of trade, Randy. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is, this would be a really, they're not trading. They're not trading. Um, also, Johnny DeLuca is really interesting and in a version of, in the way we talked about with the Yankees, where it's like, look at all these pitchers that they have that you maybe don't realize are valuable to other teams. Johnny DeLuca, perfect example. Total, like, so many of these Dodgers guys just move through the system, put up ridiculous numbers, and then you wake up and you're like, holy shit, look what they're doing in Oklahoma City. Oh, wow, he also has some tools. Oh, wow, he can do this, he can do this. Extremely adept at pulling fly balls. That's something the Rays really value. We see that in Isak Paredes, like, I would not be surprised if he is a, a very, very useful player for them. So, But again, the Dodgers, in their case, they're saying, you know what, let's cash in that chip. We don't actually know what we have in him at the Major League level. And the Rays are, are more than willing uh, to take that gamble. All right, let's take a quick break, Jake. When we return, let's talk about the Giants. The Giants make it a move. Jung-Hoo Lee will be right back on Baseball Barbecue. Hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbacast themed beanie or bucket hat or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they are all available right now just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G dot slash baseball.
1: And welcome back to Baseball Barbecast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. It's been a weird couple of years for the San Francisco Giants. The 2021 season was one of the more miraculous single years I have ever seen in baseball history. An impressive 107-win season. An NL West title that broke the Dodgers' streak, for they fell to their big rivals in the the NLDS, in what was like the greatest NLDS I have ever seen. But over the last two offseasons, they have really struggled to land the marquee free agent their roster and their organization needs. We had the Carlos Correa drama a year ago, Aaron Judge using them as leverage to get an extra year from the Yankees, Shohei Otani telling them politely to, no, thank you, I will be a Dodger. However, the Giants finally caught a fish reeling in Jung-Hoo Lee for six years and $113 million and opt out after year four of that contract. Lee is an outfielder from the KBO. He's easily the most exciting Korean prospect to come stateside since Hassan sung Kim. Um, what type of player is this, Jordan?
0: Yeah. I mean, the reason why he was kind of more hyped than than sung Kim, a lot of it is because uh, he is, you know, his His dad um, is has was one of the great players uh, in KBO history, and also he had been doing it since basically as soon as he got to the KBO. So this is someone who was basically immediately hitting 300. Now, when you, especially in Japan and the KBO, like these players get drafted out of high school, and the best ones, unlike here, when they get drafted out of high school and they go through the minors, normally when they're good enough, they're going straight to the top level, you know, of their domestic league. And basically, as soon as he arrived with the the heroes, when he was initially teammates with Hasan Kim, he was just one of the best hitters. Immediately was showing a precocious hit tool, never striking out, drawing a lot of walks. And what we've seen over the last three years is him start to develop some power. He's shown it in international competition. And then unfortunately, in his last year in the KBO, he fractured his ankle, which cost him the second half of the season. And I think that was a huge... Now, he clearly didn't end up mattering because he still got a massive contract well beyond expectations. But I think that the hype around him, had he carried... Remember yeah. what we saw with Yamamoto where he was pitching, throwing, you know, complete games in the Japan series and all these things. There was a version of the season where he was having a career year, you know, taking the key of heroes to the playoffs, all these things where we were hearing about him more down the stretch. But because he was injured, that hype kind of died out. But clearly, there's a lot of interest in him. Like with Yamamoto, this guy's only 25. You don't have the opportunity to invest in a free agent that young very often. And if you believe that not only is he a plus center fielder defensively, but that his bat will translate and also evolve and bring more power as he gets bigger, as he gets older, as he gets stronger, as he maybe adjusts to major league pitching, even if that takes some time, there is definitely an impact player here. And at the very least there is a, a giant that I am excited to watch play baseball, which is not something that they have had a lot of recently. The swing itself
1: is very visually pleasing. He kind of, I would describe it as he uncoils in a very unique way where his front leg starts open, but then like comes closed weirdly close to his body. Where it looks like he's just kind of standing like a regular person. And then it just all kind of shoots forward at once. Um, The big concern here is that he's not going to have enough power. And in San Francisco, I think that concern is particularly valid. Yeah. Now, his bat to ball skills are so good that the floor here is pretty high. High contact guy who never strikes out and plays a good defensive center field. That's a valuable leadoff hitter. Now, the ceiling is that he unlocks a little bit more power. He's still only 25, right? So you get this guy on like a weighted bat program or, you know, on a different workout situation and he adds some muscle and he he becomes a different type of player and we've seen this with Kim where it took Hasan Kim a couple years to kind of figure out certain parts of of his offensive game while he was providing so much defensive value and this year he posted a 110 OPS plus and was like a very good solid offensive player for the Padres
0: yeah and again though like I think that that trajectory is going to be very important for Lee like this is clearly a bet that he is going to be an everyday center field defender in the way that, as we saw because of the weird Padres situation, he's been bouncing around to a lot of different positions. But Kim is an elite infielder at three different spots, right? And so that by itself, you know, supplies the floor and gives him time for the for the rest of it to catch up. I mean, yeah, admittedly, it's not the best landing spot for projecting his offensive potential, um, now you could say the say I felt the same way about Hassan Kim in San Diego's ballpark. Of course, it's much more extreme in San Francisco, but I'm, I'm really excited about this. And, and I, and it is good to see the giants finally land someone, because again, you, you have to start somewhere and they still have a lot more work to do to get this roster into a position where I'm you know excited about it. But also like, yes, it's way beyond what we expected him to get. But if you believe in him as an everyday center fielder, who is even an average hitter, 18 million dollars a year is not very much especially for a team that has cash to spend right so sure when you see oh my god thats so much more I felt the same way about Yoshida when he got his his deal and and for him remember he had the contact issues zero defensive value you know so there's a lot it's a lot of a, more of a safety net here with Lee and he's also much younger than Yoshida was when he came over so I like this uh I like this move a lot um it just can't be the only one it's 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 kind of that simple
1: we'll talk a little bit more later about the San Francisco specific city stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's just fly through some moves because there were, there was a bevy of other stuff. Tigers, Jack Flaherty one year, $14 million. This is a pillow. Prove it deal for Jack Flaherty.
0: Uh, would you rather have Jack Flaherty for one for 14 or Lance Lynn for one for 11 or Kyle Gibson for one for 13? Cause clearly this is sort of the, the market rate for your one year contracts. Now, of course, Jack Flaherty is seven year, eight years younger than Lance Lynn, right? So it's a little bit of a different situation, but we know the risks involved, the injury track record. I've just been underwhelmed watching Jack Flaherty for years now, but I like the fit. I definitely like the, the fit here. And it is an interesting gamble for the Tigers if they don't feel like they can access the top level of the free agent starting pitching market. We, they've already had Maeda. It's, it's a nice landing spot for him. I just, I'm just i just not that much of a believer. I don't have faith that he's going to
1: figure it out. I think he can be a valuable, dependable starter who's makes starts. I don't think he can ever get back to what he was. I mean, 2019, this guy finished fourth in the SIA as a 23-year-old. And it felt like he was just getting started. I don't know if we're going to see that guy again. I don't know if he can move that same way. I don't think the command ever gets back to that level. I mean, he was just walking so many dudes this year. It's hard to be successful when you're walking 4.1 guys per nine innings. I understand Blake Snell did it. He's a unicorn. I wish the best for Jack Flaherty. Of the guys you listed, Kyle Gibson won for
0: 13. Not even a question. Um, I would say the interesting thing about this for me is, at the very least, this is a commitment. Convip- now, as we saw, like he could just be bad and they'll go in the other direction, but now you look at the Tigers rotation and you're not giving him $14 million to be, you know, a, a spot starter. So it seems like Scooble for sure. We believe in Scooble. He's awesome. Flaherty, Maeda, you bring them in. And now you have three more spots between Manning, Olsen, Mize, Gibson, Long, who we saw in the second half. I'm curious how the rest of that Tigers rotation shakes out because this is a commitment to Flaherty that is going to create, I think more competition among those younger starters, in spring training that I think is going to be interesting to monitor. So nice to see the Tigers keep adding. Like, again, even if we're low on Flaherty, like, I I like to see that for sure.
1: Rangers signed Tyler Molly, who will go down in Reds history as a big old thank you for Spencer Steer and Christian Encarnacion Strand. He was traded from Cincy to Minnesota at the 2022 deadline that netted the Reds just two big league starting position players, and Molly barely pitched with
0: the Twins because he had injury problems. Uh, more than that, they also got Steven Hadger, who they traded for Will Benson. So, just an incredible, I mean, Nick Crawl masterclass through and through uh, for the Cincinnati Reds there. Um, but as for Malley, like, he's good. Uh, he didn't, obviously, did not get to prove it with Minnesota. He was probably the worst timing of injuries there, as the Twins have become very accustomed to. But for the Rangers, a team that we really have not talked a lot about since they won the World Series, it seems like they are not as going to be as aggressive. This is a very smart move for 2025, right? He got TJ in May of of this year. He's not going to pitch the start of this year. Maybe he comes back in the second half. But once we get past, you know, they could be losing Ivaldi. They could be losing Scherzer 2025. Who knows what DeGrom is going to be at that point. This is a nice move for a pitcher who's still pretty young. That if you project him to come back from TJ, like that's a very good, you know, mid rotation starter if all things go well and at a very reasonable cost. So We see guys like this who just got TJ get two-year deals like this all the time. I think this is a really nice move for Texas, even if it doesn't help them that much this year.
1: Heaney's done after this season as well. So that's just, there will be spots for him to make starts if he's healthy. The Kansas City Royals, who employ our friend Vinny Pasquantino, who is getting married this weekend. Congratulations, Vin. Very cool. Well, you have a new teammate. In fact, he is now the second richest teammate you have. Seth Lugo to the Royals. $45 million, three years, 15 million a year with a player option for 2026. So I think that'll probably get picked up. I would imagine. So four years, uh, $60 million thoughts.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty serious deal. Um, I, and the fact that Lugo, who again has basically done this for one season, but I was really impressed. Like I thought he was exactly what the Padres could have hoped him to be. And, he was in position to now where he opted out. Of course, he had an opt-out. And, and look at look at this. What a what a fascinating career trajectory for him, I would say. Um, and for him to land in Kansas City is a situation where, especially if you're in Seth Lugo's situation, Seth Lugo, not that Seth Lugo doesn't want to win, but Seth Lugo, if you're gonna give him 45 million dollars, like, hell yeah, you know, like absolutely you you earned that. That's why you went somewhere where you could start and you proved that and you cash in way more than you ever would have as the middle reliever he was before. So really interesting, uh, the fact that he's already, you know, 34, like very strange confluence and and team uh, player. But listen, the Royals pitching was, we already talked about this with Will Smith, so horrible. So if you can get any sort of substantive reliability here, like, thank you. And it's starting to shape into something that if you really squint, you're like, maybe this doesn't suck.
1: You took the words out of my pie hole, Mr. Schusterman. Cole Reagan, Seth Lugo, Brady Singer, Jordan Lyles. Go get one more starter for me. Okay. It sounds like they want
0: to. It sounds
1: like they Go are... get Yamamoto. Okay, yeah, Yamamoto, they, Cole Reagan, Yamamoto. Seth
0: Lugo. I mean, one, two, three in a playoff series. Fire me up, Chuck. I mean, listen, we can do all the calculations about how much giving Yamamoto $30 million would put the Yankees and Dodgers and Mets into all this crazy luxury tax. Royals still chilling at a $93 million payroll right now. Like let's give Yamoto 35 and let's go. Let's let's go after this AL Central that's here for the taking. So, you know, it sounds like they're also going to add Chris Stratton. Maybe we, as we, hey, what did Vinny, what did Vinny tell us at winter meetings? What's, what's, what's the strategy? Sign a Chapman, trade him for oh. Randy Johnson. Just do that again. I don't know who Cole Reagans is in 2024, but Chapman's still out there. So why not? Why not? I bet Chapman would go back to Kansas City and do it all over. I I have three million. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt about that. So, uh, anyway. So, you know, again, same with the Tigers, but a little bit less so. Nice to see them actually trying to add major league players because they, I'm sure for them, it's like, dude, they've been, they've been, same as the Tigers, and the Tigers were a little bit more respectful this year. This team's been bad for a long time. They are, they are not about to watch another 106 losses. Congratulations to our favorite owner in baseball, the propane
1: king. John Sherman, who owns the Kansas City Royals, he is the I believe fourth or third largest provider distributor of propane in the United States. Hot stove, hot stove cooking with gas. Jeez. Finally, spending a little bit of that good propane dough on Seth Lugo.
0: Let's move uh, to the Pirates, who yes. are. Let's just talk about let's just talk about Rowdy to Liz. Um, So I'll one second, about, yeah,
1: one second. Cooking if the if the Royals are cooking
0: with gas. The pirates have two sticks in the woods. <laughs> uh, um, not pirates. Well, I'll say some pirates ever. Let's talk about Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez, I mean, Rowdy Telez as a player, like he was, he was kind of becoming a, a very pop. There was a, it was, a, it was a nice little profile he fit well in, Kansas, in in Milwaukee. And then, I mean, I'm not totally sure what happened this year. It was interesting. He was one of the guys like, ooh, ooh, we're getting rid of the shift. Ooh, maybe this will help Roddy Telez. and he's like, "No, just kidding. I'll be just absolutely dreadful, you know, gone, gone from Milwaukee, and now ends up in Pittsburgh, where I'm sure he'll hit some home runs into the into the water, and, and that'll be cool. Um, otherwise, I don't, I don't have much to add here. Pirates, not.
1: I'm not optimistic.
0: Yeah, uh, well, well, yeah, but I'll, I'll get sad about them later. Uh, the Guardian signed Ben Lively. I I only saying this because I spent a lot of time talking to Ben Lively with the Reds uh, this season, and I like him a lot. And also, here is just just an unbelievably depressing fun fact about this. First starting pitcher, the Guardians have signed to a major league contract. Oh, it's like since like, like Paul Bird or like Oliver Perez or like... Not quite. Gavin Floyd, 2015. Gavin Floyd. At like the end of his career. So that's a thing. Uh, All right, Jake, let's be done with this segment. Let's take a break. And when we return, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll be right back.
1: And welcome back to the end of Baseball Barbercast, an extended episode. But you've earned it, listeners. You deserve it. And so we're going to give it to you straight. Good, bad, ugly. For those of you who don't know, about this segment. We say one thing good from the week that was in baseball, one thing bad and one thing, a little ugla, a little ugly, a little weird, a little offbeat, a little bit different. Jordan Schusterman, you're older than me. So you go first.
0: What's good. My good this week could also qualify as ugla, but I can't believe I'm saying this, but Tom Brady uh, made me smile. Uh, I got to be honest. Now it wasn't Tom Brady on on his own, and I understand that this is very much an extreme, you know, capitalistic play where we are making Tom Brady rookie card. Bowman is making Tom Brady rookie cards that are worth tens of thousands of dollars, and it's very much part of a, a you know promotional thing. However, the commercial that went alongside with this promotion, which to announce the inclusion of a Tom Brady expose signed rookie card in the next set of Bowman draft Chrome or whatever was just absolutely spectacular. Uh, and whoever was involved in putting this together, essentially the premise, if you have not seen it, is that Tom Brady, who was drafted by the Expos as a catcher out of high school and obviously did not pursue that, he pursues that and becomes the greatest catcher in baseball history and wins a bunch of World Series. And this is basically a shot of people in Montreal kind of reminiscing about Tom Brady, the baseball player, including a table that features Vlad Guerrero Sr., Larry Walker, and Pedro Martinez talking about how Tom Brady would never let them lose except for the Giants, except to the Giants twice. There is so much in this 90-second clip that is worthy of digestion. However, what is your favorite part? It is a great sliding doors moment
1: Mm -hmm. i have to admit it bummed me out Mm. for the people of montreal oh yeah because the use of montreal as like almost a punchline i understand that that wasn't maybe the intention but it's like man mont the whole city would still exist or the whole franchise would still exist if tom Brady had just chosen baseball right obviously it's not that simple (laughs) and obviously they know they know that's not True, but there was just a part of it that kind of bummed me out a little bit of like, oh, what could have been? Because yeah. it's true, like if Tom Brady and the Expos won the nineteen ninety seven World Series, like they might still be there. You know,
0: yeah. they and might have a new stadium. It, I also love that, like, if you look like, and and I don't I don't blame them at all for fudging this because it makes all of this fantasy way better. You know the the Expos careers of Vlad, Larry Walker, and uh. Pedro did not quite overlap to the same degree but if they had Tom Brady as their franchise catcher perhaps they all would have stuck around and and really like they did they were all there but it was just not perfectly aligned but all of the little newspaper clippings that they they've come up and if you pause and you read some of them and of course the stuff about him hitting 649 home runs as a catcher is unbelievable like so much incredible stuff um and it's just yeah it's well written it's very funny and uh, also just the notion that they that the that they won that they are implying that he won seven World Series and then also lost two more to the Giants is also amazing. Jordan. But also not possible because of I think what you're about to say. They're both in
1: the National League. They're
0: both in the NL. <laughs> both in the NL. But I guess also, that I guess that
1: didn't have to be in the World Series. I should say. Yeah, in the NLCS. Yeah. Larry Walker left the Expos in 1994 was his last year, went to the Rockies in '95. And Tom Brady was drafted in 95. So, by the time Tom Brady was drafted, Larry, Ro- Larry Walker was already on the
0: Rockies. Yeah. Yeah, again, there's there's some – it's not – but, like, I don't care because seeing it like it, – and that's why it's funny because when I first watched it, I was like, oh, Vlad, Larry Walker, and Pedro. I was like, wait a minute. Like, if they all played together, I would have known that that was a you're thing. You're like <laughs> – <laughs> you're like, they would have – This should have been so good. Right. I was like, that's an interesting enough alternate reality on its own, like, without Tom Brady. So Did Vlad anyway, over – did Vlad,
1: yeah. Vlad never overlapped with Larry Walker. They were
0: never yeah. teammates. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, and you could see they're like all wearing like multiple world series rings. It's anyway, the attention to detail you, is amazing. If you haven't yes. watched it, uh, send us an email after you do and let us know what your favorite parts are. I, I didn't think I could be, I don't think someone could make me like Tom Brady. Yeah. And they did. But I was like, you know what? It's fine. Well done, Tom. Nice work. Good job. Good job, Tom. I guess all he had to do was, I guess he had to, yeah, I don't know how much of this was CGI versus him, you know, posing in (laughs) photos of exposed jerseys, but all he had to do was, you know, wake up when the alarm rang at the end of the the clip. So I don't know how much of a heavy lift it was, but it was, it was very well done. So good stuff there. Uh, Jake, what is your good this week? Decoy, decoy, the dog, decoy, the dog.
1: Mm. The dog was a decoy the whole time. Show
0: you how tiny the dog. I knew it. I knew it. I said, as soon as I saw, when we had the sequence, when Otani dog reveal, followed by, sorry, I can't speak after winning the MVP, I was like, oh, but everyone's talking about the dog. It's the ultimate distraction. Nobody cares that Otani has now, you know, dodged the media for the third month in a row, even though he just won the MVP, because that is what happened. But it was like, who cares? Like, look at this dog. This dog's adorable. I'll Jordan knew that the difficult. dog's name
1: was Dekopin all along, which I'm probably yes. mispronouncing very yes, poorly. so the this is the dog the yeah. dog has a Japanese name and an American name. Otani said that he gave the dog a uh, he gave it a Japanese name because he's Japanese. Okay. Oh, and so interesting. Yeah yeah, 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 and so but then he gave it an American name because us gaijin are are stupid and can't pronounce things right, and which is also true. And so he gave it an American name, which is Decoy. Uh, the name Dekopen De in Japanese means to flick one's forehead
0: is mm. what it appears. So That's just a great like a- example of like, you know, we have this with like German. It's like, damn, like there's all these words in these other languages that just mean the most specific thing. We're just, we're, we're struggling here. This, this, this simpleton English language is just not doing it.
1: We're just still trying to sound out GH <laughs> as a hoof oh, and it doesn't really make any sense. Anyway, uh, the Otani's dog being named Decoy was great and... Like, I just great job. Good job, Shohei. Yeah. This is great a big, work. fat win. No notes. Carry on. Yeah, Yep,
0: yeah. good stuff. All right, uh, what is bad this week? I already started to allude to it. You did too. The Pirates, uh, what is going on in Pittsburgh? Like, sure, Rowdy, I understand as we talk about the race. Okay, we're operating with our means, whatever. They made a very strange trade, reportedly, where the Yankees, who signed Billy McKinney, Okay, it's just Billy McKinney to a minor league deal have traded him to the the Pirates for international bonus pool money. Pirates just signed Billy McKinney is that is that hard now it's also a funny bounce for Billy McKinney to return to the Yankees where I'm sure he was like I'm going to find my way back onto the New York Yankees and they're like yeah sorry actually we'd rather have an extra couple grand to give to some, you know, 16-year-old Venezuelan instead of having you get any amount of playing time for us, which makes sense for the Yankees, but it's also like they did sign him in the first place. Why the Pirates are doing this, and also we got news that their catcher, potential catcher of the future, Andy Rodriguez, had Tommy John, so he's going to be out for this year. More time for Henry Davis is great. I believe in Henry Davis, but I'm just looking at this roster, and I'm thinking about, again, and I've thought about this a lot this season in relation to the Reds, and we compared those rebuilds, and I'm just like, man, how are we getting this team to be in the mix at all anytime soon? And I'm struggling to see it. And it's making me really sad. And I know there are some teams that we just don't think about during the offseason. But sometimes when I zoom in and I pull up that roster research page and I think, how is this team going to be good anytime soon? I'm really struggling to do that with the Pirates. And it's bumming me out. And that is bad. There's my bad. playoff sooner, right? Uh, Royals Pirates. Oh, Royals, I think. I mean that Chris Stratton deal. But no, but honestly, like I and I, I feel better about competing in the AL Central versus the NL Central. But again, like both the Royals lost way more games than the Pirates this year, and still, like, I just man. So anyway, I just hope O'Neill Cruz comes back and is awesome because otherwise it's gonna be tough. Sorry, Buckos fans. Uh, what's your bad? Let's keep it rowdy till I was focused. <laughs> a lot of
1: rowdy. A lot of rowdy. So this actually started uh, what I'm about to talk about. Buster Posey was quoted in an article at The Athletic that he believed there's an uneasiness amongst MLB free agents to sign with the San Francisco Giants because of the city of San Francisco, whether that uh, because of the perception of the city of San Francisco, that San Francisco is not safe and it's not clean and it's dirty, whatever. Okay. I think Posey's comments were totally fine. He was expressing a sentiment that does exist, like 100% does exist amongst players, okay? Then Rowdy Telez went on foul territory and was like kind of shat on San Francisco a bit. I'm going to just read the quote. For me, the city, man, it's just bad. We grew up taking Bart into the city and all that. The last 10 years, so Bart is the uh, transportation system. Last 10 years, it's just been a bad city. It's not nice anymore. It's not clean. It's hardly safe. First of all, Telesa is from San Francisco and not from, or sorry, Telesa is from Sacramento, not from San Francisco, which many people have pointed out that those are different cities. Okay. That's the first thing. Second thing is Jordan, if you uh, do MLB cities by crime rate, do you know where uh,
0: San Francisco ranks? Probably not that high. I mean, I think, uh, Boiling it down to stuff like that is both extremely reductive and silly and also, unfortunately, how some people think about this. Yes. Especially well, uh, players. San
1: Francisco, yeah. by violent crime rate, is the uh, has the 18th... Sorry, the 19th highest crime rate amongst MLB cities. So, obviously, there are more complicated ways to assess the health and well-being of a city. But the idea... That San Francisco is this like lawless, unsafe madness, like mad. It's just not true and insulting. And yeah. I very mean, very kind of classist. And like that being said, this is a sentiment that does exist amongst players. It does. That is totally true. However, I think the Giants are kind of maybe leaning on it a little bit too much as an excuse. You should just be able to go to a player and say, you're uncomfortable with San Francisco. Whatever, go live in suburbia in a big freaking house, thirty minutes away. It's how is that any different from any other major American city? All these players, not, very, 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 very few of them live in the cities that they play in. Most of them live out in suburbia, and mm-hmm. I just am very interested why San Francisco specifically is having this issue. I understand that like there are uh, there's a narrative that San Francisco is this like unsafe, disgusting city, which I disagree with. I'm just curious for your take on this.
0: I just, I mean, like to me, I think that when we're talking about free agent cases, we talk about, oh, they have a geography problem. Well, oftentimes it might be that they'd rather live somewhere else than that they don't want to live there. Or they'd rather play for this team than they, like, these are all, we take these individual cases and we decide, oh, no one wants to come here. Now, I don't think Buster Posey's making it up, but I also don't take that as an excuse from the Giants as to why they can't land. Mm. Like, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. And remember, Buster Posey, the context of these comments was him saying, this is disappointing. I love this city. I moved back to this city. They moved. Back. When he retired, they moved. Back. his family moved back to Georgia. And then we're like, no, we missed the city. We're going to go back to yeah. San Francisco. Again, it's going to be different for every player at different stages of their lives. Ultimately, this is a situation which you could apply to many other conversations about how people talk about cities versus other places, is that people will see what they want to see and believe what they want to believe. And they'll come up with a stat that they want to believe. And they think... And then, thankfully, you have people like Logan Webb who are like, this is ridiculous. I love this place, as you will, of course, find many people in San Francisco. So, to see Rowdy Tellez's comments is disappointing for a few reasons, but unfortunately, this is just kind of where we're at in the way that people, that people will... Well I agree it is probably a narrative among, among players and those players are going to believe what they want to believe. It's not something that I think the Giants are doing wrong, but I also think it's overblown and there's more reasons why players are or yeah. are going there or not going there. So but it's it, don't be surprised
1: yeah. don't yeah. be surprised that a bunch of rich predominantly white dudes are uh scared of San Francisco.
0: Like yeah. so not it's uh that part's uh, of course disheartening, but I don't really I don't really uh this is this is a, of course an issue that extends the fact that this is a, a kind of conversation we're having in a baseball free agency context is i think not like this Baseball free agents are not the most important part of any discussion about what makes a city and how cities can become, can thrive and whatnot. (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure? I think that's exactly what it is. I feel pretty good. But I I also, again, having been to San Francisco once in my life, I am certainly not going to say anything about it it in one way or the other.
1: I will be in San Francisco
0: one week from today for next weekend. So I'll report back. I'm sure. I'm sure you will give us the, you will get the, the final answer. And you will determine <laughs> whether it is a good city or a bad city. <laughs> Finally. <sir. laughs> Rowdy Tellez has decided bad city. It's like, all right, bad dude, city.
1: Rowdy says bad. Jake Mintz. I'm going to tell you right now. I think right. I'm going to say good. I think but I'm going to say it's good.
0: Also, it's like people are like, oh my God. Rowdy Tellez is like, okay, that's Rowdy Tellez. I like Rowdy I, I, like, I We've talked about yeah. whatever. How, why is his opinion? Epa- who gives a shit, right? <laughs> like, what? what is Ja Rule going to think at a time like this? <laughs> Right. I mean, it's important. And I understand Major League Baseball players comment like it becomes a headline that becomes a narrative. And then, like, that's problematic. I get that. So I don't want to like dismiss that. But whatever, like, people of San Francisco, like, you're not, you should be proud for all as as you should be if you live in any city with whatever problems it comes with.
1: Correct. If you live in San Francisco and you're proud of living in San Francisco, you didn't look (laughs) at Rowdy Thales' comments and be
0: like, you know what? He's right. Like, no. So anyway, Uh, all right, let's get to Ugla before we say goodbye. My Ugla this week. It's courtesy of baseballreference.com. That's a good website. Um, We, uh, of course, we all get our, you know, Spotify wrapped and whatnot. And Baseball Reference produces something vaguely similar in terms of a year in review of just a very collection of data and maps that tells us things about what part of the website people in different parts of the country were visiting most frequently. And, uh, you can find, I mean, they, they tweet out the link with, with all the graphics. I think they tweeted a thread of it, but I just wanted to kind of throw it to you here. And again, we have basically a map of the most viewed player pages in each state, uh, including Canada, which is not interesting because every single one's Otani most viewed team pages by state. Like I, I always enjoy this. And then of course the top 10 players, I think it's the most interesting thing every year, which players pages were visited the most in an individual year. So where do you want to start here? Cause there's a lot of fun stuff.
1: I am interested in the non-obvious players by state, right? So, so much of the map is Otani. And so for me, it's who breaks through to be relevant enough in their specific location to be more relevant than Shohei Otani. And the answers to that question are Corbin Carroll in Arizona, which is freaking cool. Julio in Washington State, which is cool as hell. Acuna in Alabama and Georgia- Judge in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. Yep. Harper in Delaware and Pennsylvania. Makes sense. Christian Yelich in Wisconsin. Yep. And then Miguel Cabrera in Michigan. All of those make a lot of sense. The one that is so funny and so sad to me is Louisa Rise being the most viewed player page in North Dakota and Minnesota where Twins fans were probably like, damn, he's hitting 400
0: right. for the Marlins. Right. It was really that simple. Again, Pablo Lopez, freaking awesome, right? Like, not a bad trade, but because specifically he was the guy hitting four hundred, people were, were checking it team, every day. It was every day for the first, like they, that had to have tailed off, you know, after June. But North Dakota, <laughs> North Dakota, Luis Ariz is just an incredible, uh, incredible thing. But every, literally every other state. Uh, is Shohei Otani. No surprise there. So I feel like we've had years where there were more surprising ones. They've done this for a few years now. This was pretty standard across the board. No no shock. I was a little bit surprised that no Rangers or Astros broke through in Texas. Um, that surprised me a little bit, just knowing, obviously, the year the Rangers had and also just the Astros, how how passionate Astros fans are. But Otani, too much uh, to overcome. Now, of course, Otani was the most viewed individual page, duh. But the rest of this list I also found quite interesting. So the, the top 10 uh, players were, number one, Otani. Number two, Mike Trout, still amazing. Three, Judge. Four, Acuna. Five, Barry Bonds. <laughs> Six, Juan Soto. Seven, Miguel Carrera. Eight, Mookie Betts. Nine, Justin Verlander. Ten, Bryce Harper. What surprises you about this group of ten? I thought Cabrera would be
1: higher, just mm. because he was retiring and it was like a farewell, and people were probably just checking. I thought people would just be checking his stats the whole year,
0: mm-hmm. so that was. Kind I think of surprising. him still being here is pretty even seven. Like I, yeah, this is about yeah. about where I would expect him. Like he's definitely on here. Um, I mean, Acuna behind. Like I think I would have expected Acuna to be ahead of Judge. Um and Trout, I guess. I mean, Bond still being in the top five is just like so incredible on so many levels. Like that, that is, it's honestly validating in a way because it's like, oh no, like I'm not the only one. Just like routinely, it's like, oh, those. this thing I'm looking at all the time, it's not just me. <laughs> like, oh, you yeah, watch that I don't TV mean show in too? The sense that like I'm the one driving up the view count. I'm saying like clearly not. You know, I felt like this. Here's the thing. I think this was probably the year I looked at Barry Bonds' baseball reference page the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was still top five. So anyway, so the, and then Trout being too is just I mean, I tweeted this, but it's basically like being like, oh, if he can just if he can just get back, like I, I want to believe there's there's still another chapter of Mike Trout being one of the best players in the league. And I still believe that, but it's it's this was the first year where his stats were like not amazing. He was just like good um and injured. So other than that though, I mean everything else pretty much. Pretty much tracks, I would say. So these are great. Anything else from this before we get to your? No, other? no. Okay. One, pa- but I one place. To check it out. Very good. We love baseball reference.
1: One place on that's not on this map is Tulum, Mexico.
0: <laughs> Probably still Otani was the most viewed.
1: Why that did place. I bring up Tulum? Because we had a little wedding. This is from Vogue. Vanessa Hudgens wore Vera Wang to Mary Cole Tucker in the heart of the Mayan jungle. Vanessa Hudgens is very famous. She was in High School Musical. She has 51 million Instagram followers and she married someone whose phone number I have. Damn. Cole Tucker, who was a top prospect for the pirates, made it up to the big leagues briefly, was spent some time in the minors with the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. And is one of the most interesting, enjoyable people we have ever interacted with in this big world of baseball. He was on our backyard baseball power hour during the pandemic, a couple months before he first met Vanessa Hudgens, who he just married in the heart of the Mayan jungle. Okay, they got married. The pictures are incredible. The idea that, respectably, like a b- well below average major leaguer is now married to Vanessa Hudgens is just hilarious. The way that they met is funny. There were tweets. From Cole Tucker from like when he was in high school, basically being like, one day I want to meet Vanessa Hudgens. Like, that would be awesome. I'd love to go on a date with her. Now they're married. Um, The pictures are great. Cody Bellinger was there. There were like 85 people in Cole Cole Tucker's wedding party, including his brother, who's a minor leaguer, including Scott Kingery, including Pirates starter Mitch Keller. It's all very great. So happy for Cole, happy for Vanessa uh, on their nuptials.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and, and, and here's the thing, um, while Cole Tucker's, you know, baseball career is maybe not as, as he expected, like, when you, if you meet him and have met, like, it's like, oh yeah, like, the notion of him meeting and wooing a famous person is like the least surprising thing of all time. He is as, as, as charismatic and likable as it gets. So congrats to them. Uh, but, uh, these pictures are, are just absolutely hilarious. I mean, Cody. Yeah, Cody Bellinger and Mitch Keller, when they face off this year, we'll have to crop them standing next to Colt Tucker in their, in their uh, groomsman uh, outfit. Very, very funny stuff. Uh, all right, congrats to them. Uh, congrats to us, Jake, on a great Big podcast. Pod. Truly. Big pod. I know Big we pod. went long, but it was that was a lot to cover. We'll be back on Monday. Maybe Yamamoto will be on a team. I don't really know the timeline of that. That one is getting pretty interesting.
1: If you want to marry us in the heart of the Mayan jungle, you can ask us to do so at, baseball at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh don't do that. No one's I mean never, you can but we probably won't respond. Uh but uh, no one's ever like know. no one's yeah. ever like the outskirts of the Mayan jungle. It's always no. the heart of the jungle. It's you know,
0: it's has to be. Has to be. Uh yeah, and you can, you know, get your get your Bar-B-Cast merch. I know we got Hanukkah just wrapped up last night, but Christmas coming up. Uh, podswag.com slash baseball if you want barbacast merch.
1: If you have any other high school musical weddings to attend,
0: you could wear our merch to that. Yes. Yes. They'll they'll definitely understand. Um, but thank you all for listening. Thank you to Isabella Joseph for producing as always because Isabella will be with us for the next little while while Chris is on vacay. Well-deserved vacay for Chris Tyler. Um, but yeah, we'll be back uh, on Monday. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend.
1: And don't forget
0: we're all in this
1: <laughs> together a wise man
0: together. a wise man once said Jake stick to the stuff you know we don't need you singing goodbye <laughs> boy <laughs> Series XM Podcasts.